You know, I like to tell you little anecdotes and stories about my nieces and nephews, and just because one of those things where I feel like we can learn so much from the kiddos so much of the time. And the first time I really heard a priest kind of talking about his family and kind of learning that, hey, this is probably a good way to go as far as examples go, was when I was in seminary almost 20 years ago, and one of our priests, Father John Chadwick, told us a story about his niece. And when his sister took his niece to preschool, and it was the very first day of preschool, and apparently this little niece had never been away from her mom at all. So obviously, you know, a difficult day, and you know, you can have the best school in the world, just like we do. And the first day of school still has a lot of tears and a lot of difficulties because, you know, it's hard to see mom and dad go. Well, his sister dropped off his niece, and I guess, you know, at first, a lot of tears, and, you know, those kind of subsided, but I guess normally she was a pretty happy, you know, talkative child, but she's very subdued, very withdrawn the whole day, just kind of, you know, anxious clearly. And so the day goes by, and then finally, the end of the school day comes, Father Chadwick's sister comes back to pick her up, and as soon as that little girl caught sight of her mom, I guess she just like screamed out with delight, you came back! And I love that story for so many different reasons, but I think it's a good meditation on this third Sunday of Advent. And the reason I say that is because it's like, I think it's good to think about if we are like that little girl during the school day or after the school day. And what do I mean by that? Well, you know, you look at her, and God love her, you know, who knows what's actually going through her mind, but not being entirely sure, you know, is mom really coming back? Like, am I just abandoned to these people? Not that it's all bad, but you know, she wasn't her normal self. It's like this ongoing nagging anxiety. And I think the question for us is, do we live that way? Do we live in such a way that we just kind of let the anxieties and the difficulties of the world, like sort of always, you know, they're always present. It's sort of like a fog that we're in all the time. Not really sure about what's coming later. Not really sure if mom is really coming back. And the thing is, I think that to live that way is sort of like how they would have lived before our Lord came, before Jesus rose from the dead, and kind of gives some context as to why he's saying what he's saying in this very strong concluding line. Amen, I say to you, among those born of women, there has been none greater than John the Baptist, yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What does that mean? Well, you look at John the Baptist, the greatest, the ultimate of all of the prophets, right? Here he is. Last week, we heard him as he's baptizing at the Jordan, right, and calling people to repentance, and he's pointing out Christ. I mean, throughout John's whole life, there have been amazing things that have happened, especially in his proximity to Christ. I mean, even in the darkness of his mother's womb, he's leaping for joy at the closeness of Christ when Mary comes to visit Elizabeth at the visitation. You know, there he is at the baptism at the Jordan, and there's this, what scripture scholars call a theophany, where the heavenly Father speaks from the heavens, and the Holy Spirit descends in the form of a dove. I mean, he's seeing these things, and then today, he's in the darkness of a prison, and especially after last week, we're hearing him so strong, and then this week, 
he's behind bars and he's asking the question, are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? And the thing is, is you can forgive John the Baptist for asking that question. Even though he's been close to Jesus, he's seen a lot of stuff, everything hasn't come to fruition yet, right? I mean, Jesus is still walking around, you know, doing the public ministry. And I love Jesus' response, right? It's so often in the gospel, it's very rare that Jesus very directly answers a question. It's not like, are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? Yep, it's me. Have a good day. No. I mean, what does he say? Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind regain their sight. And notice this too. He doesn't say, I want you to look up my buddy Bartimaeus. He can see now and before he couldn't. No, it's the blind. Like basically Jesus is wiping out blindness. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. And then this is one, this is a shift. I think it's easy to just kind of wash over us as we're hearing this. But it's incredible. So he goes from the deaf hear the dead are raised. That's a big jump, right? I'm right next to one of my best friends who heals feet for a living, right? He has fixed many a foot in Salisbury, but I think he would agree with me that it's a bigger deal to raise someone from the dead than have them leave your office better, you know, able to walk better, right? I mean, it's a huge thing. And then to continue on, the poor had the good news proclaimed to them, and blessed is the one who takes no offense at me. Jesus is telling John, look at what's happening. It's really me. And John continues to be strengthened, right? He lays down his life in defense of the dignity of marriage, which is still under attack today, right? He's there because he said to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So what does Herod do? Like any tyrant, he locks him up. And eventually, John is going to lose his head for this, right? He dies a martyr's death standing up for the law of God, standing up for honor and honesty and integrity, all these good things. And yet Jesus says, the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. How does that work, right? Well, here's the thing. We are part of the kingdom of heaven. By our baptism, we have been baptized into the body of Christ. We have become temples of the Holy Spirit. And I know it's hard for us to get our minds around this, but like we are closer to our Lord than even John the Baptist was able to be. Why? Because by the sacraments, by his grace, we are literally able to take him into our body to be unified with him. As we hear about Christ being unified with his church, we are part of the church. The church is the kingdom of heaven. And so the least in the kingdom of heaven, there's one new little member right over there, Grace and Rays, in the first row. I baptized him yesterday, along with little Nora Ann. He's greater than John the Baptist at this point behind bars. Why? Because he has gone down into the depths. I know, it's very intimidating. It's awesome. You know, like he went down into the depths of the baptismal font and rose to new life with Christ. This isn't something that's just passing. And folks, by our baptism, we are unified with our Lord. We have gone down into the depths with him and come up into eternal life. And I know it's really hard to recognize that. And I know that in our day-to-day lives, it's a lot easier to be like that little girl during the school day. Is this all real? Is he coming again? Is what we're doing? I mean, is this all the, the truth? Yes. I mean, ultimately, in the same way you look at that little girl and go, oh, sweetheart, of course she's coming back, right? 
But I think if you look at this from like an objective outside of time perspective, like the angels and saints looking on you and me, when we have those moments of difficulty and doubt and despair and anxiety, it's almost like they look at us and say, oh, sweetheart, of course he's coming back. And if you look at it from a scriptural context, like we should know that even better. As God himself says, even if a mother would abandon her child, I will never abandon you. And at this point too, what we have better than poor John the Baptist behind bars is Jesus has laid down his life. He has taken it up again. He is risen from the dead. And he is present in the sacraments. And when you look at what he's saying to John the Baptist, we have even better than that. We have 2,000 years of church history of seeing the way that God gives his sacramental grace, works through saints, works through Christian faithful, loving and in union with God to continue to see the kingdom unfold, to see amazing things happen over the years. You think about those awesome saints who, like John the Baptist, were behind bars, but knew that even if they wouldn't see everything work out in their time, that it would eternally. St. Thomas More, you know, in King Henry VIII's prison in the London Tower. Yet St. Maximilian Kolbe in Auschwitz. I mean, even think about Mother Teresa, right? She knows she's not going to wipe out world poverty. But you know what she's going to do? She's going to participate with Christ in preaching the good news to the poor. In building them up. Sure, it's not all going to be wiped away in her time. But what does she know? She knows that he's coming back again. And that's the beauty for us on this Sunday in which the church literally commands us to rejoice, which sounds kind of funny, right? And the reason, like where we get the name Gaudete Sunday and why I'm wearing pink, which I know is beautiful. It brings out color in my eyes. It's okay. But like why we have this day, right? The way that the mass begins we have two things that are called antiphons. You have an entrance antiphon and a communion antiphon. So you'll hear me, you know, after I receive communion, I read out loud like a brief scriptural verse. If you have a Magnificat or a Missalette, you should be able to see that in there. Well, there's another one at the beginning. You can sing an entrance hymn instead. We sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. But you can just say what's called the entrance antiphon. And today, the entrance antiphon for the third Sunday of Advent is rejoice in the Lord always, I shall say it again, rejoice. And that word rejoice, gaudete, is in the imperative. It's a command, right? Which is an interesting command to have. Like imagine going to someone's birthday party and they go, be happy. You know, like, okay, it's a hard thing to do, right? To just, we're going to rejoice, everybody, doggone it. Like, this is the way it's going to work. How can St. Paul do that? And I'll tell you what gives him a lot of credibility. He was writing his letter to the Philippians from prison. He was literally behind bars writing to his fellow Christians, rejoice. Okay, how do we do that? How do we live a life authentically rejoicing? And I'll tell you, it's not just a veneer, right? Like if you're going to go to a Christmas party later and everything it feels like it's falling apart and you're just not sure about this, if you put on the ugly Christmas sweater, it's not like, oh, everything's fine now. We're great. Okay. No, it doesn't work that way. Just like if I was having a hard day, I put on the rose vestment. Okay, everything's fine now. No. We know that in the depths of our hearts, we have to be rooted in something. We have to be rooted in that hope of knowing that Christ has come. 
that we don't want to live like that little girl during the school day, always unsure, always anxious. And I know anxiety is tough. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that I'm not ever worried about anything. I get worried about stuff every day, right? But we don't need to live our lives thinking, you know, that when Jesus comes, we go, you came back. We know that he has already risen from the dead. We know that our Lord is with us. We know that he has given us himself in the sacraments. In fact, that's why he gives us the mass every single day. Gives us himself in the blessed sacrament all the time. The only day, I say every single day, one day a year, we don't get to celebrate mass. It's Good Friday. But he loves us so much that we're told on Holy Thursday, you got to consecrate enough hosts that everybody can receive communion again on, on Good Friday. He wants us to stay plugged in. He wants us to be in constant communication with him. I mean, that's why the church requires us to come to Mass every Sunday. Because if we only come when we feel like it, it's been cloudy for the last five days. I didn't feel like getting up this morning, right? But we've got to get here. Why? To remember the fact that he has come, that he is with us, that he is coming again. My brothers and sisters in Christ, we are told today to rejoice to know that fact that God does not abandon his people. St. John the Baptist didn't have it at the time as good as we have it. We have been baptized into his death and resurrection. We have risen with him by our confirmation. We're sealed in the gift of the Holy Spirit. And like those saints throughout the ages, now is our turn to stand up, to love him, to know that yes, there's deserts and prisons and difficulties, but he is present. And my brothers and sisters in Christ, he is coming back. Praise be Jesus Christ.